Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tennis Fanalyst Podcast. I'm your host today, Marcus Alley, and joining me as always is Michael Gillett after a exhausting couple of nights of tennis at the US Open. We're here to react to it and give our thoughts ahead of an important week on the clay courts of Rome with the Rome Masters coming up. How are you feeling, Michael? Tired. After that, um, I was... I wanted Dominic team to win, uh, but once Verif had gone two sets up, rather selfishly, I was thinking I would quite like to get to bed soon. And uh, and then team came back and won. But uh, obviously we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I'm very tired, but I'm um, excited for Rome and uh, the French Open in a couple of weeks. It'll be fun. Yeah, I must admit I did actually fall asleep. Uh, Zverev was 4-3 up in, in the third set. So kind of a a critical moment because obviously he didn't win another match in that third set and then team obviously coming back and winning. I did actually um, wake up this morning and, and I turned the alerts off the match. So I, I went on YouTube and um, sort of used my hand to cover up the title of the video so I can see the score. And I just watched the, the four minute highlights without, without knowing the score, which was uh, not that thrilling because it, it was quite a short highlights package that didn't really give, um, I think, the overall... Uh, message and of the chaos, the chaos that occur, occurred in that um, well final three sets. Um, yeah, you say you say you're exhausted, Michael, um, and overall you wanted Dominic team to win. Do you feel like it was deserved? Um, I think team summed it up quite well in his um, interview afterwards, and he said it's a shame there can't be two champions because I do think the two of them. As equally, they were as good as each other, but equally they were they were as poor as each other at times. Um, I think maybe overall it was deserved. You know, it was it was a hard watch. Remember we when we were chatting early on, you were saying it's a tough watch for the first couple of sets. Um, team was looking. He looked like a nervous wreck. Um, he he just wasn't making the right shots. He, he just. It was almost like all the pressure of being the favourite in the final had just crumbled onto him, and and Zverev was the the man who was uh, who was dealing with it a lot better. But then, um, but then it was just you know you get the expression in football a game of two halves. Uh, this was very much a match of two halves um, from the third set on. Team t- uh, sorry, Zverev did lead by a break early on in the third set, but once team broke back. In that third set, it suddenly had that feel about it that uh, it was going to be a long one. And um, I think overall, you have to say team deserves to win it because he won it um, and he won the points that matters. But uh, as I say, they were they were as good as each other, but at times, different times during the match, they were equally as, as really poor as each other. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, um, looking at Zverev and the, and the way he started, it was almost like a, a role reversal from how he started against Pablo Corona Busta in the semi-final, obviously throwing away two sets there before sort of clawing his way back to a, to a five-set win. But yeah, it just was so evident how tight it seemed like team was. Just Even the shots that were hit in the net, it struck me that they weren't even hitting the net even that high up. It was just, it was just all at sea in, in those first couple of sets, which was, a real surprise given how well he played against Emil Medvedev. I mean, that was a really brutal match that he managed to get through in straight sets. 
Um, but yeah, the pressure clearly told and yeah, I mean, it was clear to see, especially in that last set, just how much it meant to them and how each player just, I mean, I don't think we could have expected this match to be epic in terms of quality. It probably was as a spectacle at the end, but in terms of quality and the the sort of upper levels that we know Sasha Zverev and Dominic team can go to, I don't think we could have expected maybe an eight or nine out of 10 performance from either of them individually. You know, I think a six or a seven, like an above average, average display from one of them probably would have got them the win in sort of four sets, maybe um, just, just given how badly team started. Um, going into it, he was huge favourite. And yeah, you just saw that, that burden on his shoulders and Zverev seemed to be a lot freer in those first couple of sets. Um, obviously, maybe you're expecting a bit more quality, even though we we knew how much stress was on both players. But in terms of a, a Grand Slam final as a, as a spectacle, as theatre, as two players going for their first title, which uh, since Chilich Nishikori, I'm pretty sure we haven't seen, um, just w- where did it rank? Um, I think in terms of quality, it, it, I've got to say, and I don't like to say this because I don't want to take it away from team and, and where they're both, as you say, they're exceptional players. And I do think on their day, they are up there with Federer and Nadal, Djokovic. They can compete with them. But it's very much a case of, of winning and, and performing on, on the big occasions. And both of them really struggled. So I think in terms of quality, it is probably one of the the lowest quality Grand Slam finals I've, I've seen, uh, especially in recent history. Though it was at least one of the exciting ones, because we have had a lot of Grand Slam finals in the last few years that have been quite dull, straight sets. Um, so Djokovic, Anderson at Wimbledon, Federer, Cilic at Wimbledon, spring to mind. Um, Nadal winning various French Open finals before he, he's been sort of locked in four sets in the last one against team. Um, it, it, I think with them, although they haven't had the excitement and the drama that the team has very had, they did have a, a high quality because you've just seen one of Nadal, Federer or Djokovic or whoever it was on that occasion just absolutely blitzing their opponent. But um I think with the way the team was playing early on, it really should have been a case of Zverev blitzing team. And he was blitzing team. He he was 6-2, 6-4 up. He was 2-1 with a break-up in the third. And he played one of the most shocking games of tennis I think I've ever seen uh, Zverev play uh, when he lost that break of serve. And really, you know, two sets and a break-up, I, I think as well as team can come back from that, I do think it's quite unforgivable. Uh, and I think you could definitely say both these players struggled with the pressure and, and, and struggled with getting over the line in that final. But I do think it's very, really did throw it away last night. Yeah, someone with a a player with the weapons that Zverev possesses should not be, it should be done at two sets and a breakup, really. Um, you know, obviously the player's going to, give everything as it's a final but yeah he really should be putting it away and I feel like the nature of the game just led me to thinking when we well the next question I'm going to ask you that we have to answer is where do they both go from here I just think the nature of the game sort of the knife edge that it was on gives the winner so much more momentum 
and the loser so much less. It's just more agonizing for the loser because they've come so close and because they know maybe even that they haven't done themselves justice in in their attempt um, as, as, as in playing as well as, as they know that they can. Um, but yeah, team ending up winning it. I feel like I'd be saying similar had Zverev that though they haven't played brilliantly, all that matters was getting over the line, getting the first one out of the way. Um, just particularly for team in his fourth Grand Slam final, you know, if he passed up this opportunity, I mean, wow, I mean, he would be as tight in his next Grand Slam final probably as he was in this one. Um, so I think for team, it's massive. It'll be a massive weight off his shoulders. And yeah, I can, I can see him winning multiple. Um, I mean, to see what he's proven in recent years on the hard court. I mean, if you asked me this question two years ago, if Dominic team would win the US Open in 2020, the likes of Medvedev and Zverev were much above him on a hard court, I thought, at that time. I really, until we turned sort of 25, 26, saw team's only real shot at a slam in the French Open um, on the clay court, of course. So I think given that improvement that he's shown over the last couple of years, coming so close to winning the Australian Open final, um, it does make me think that he deserves it just. Um, obviously, he's got four years on Sasha Zverev, so hopefully the German will be able to get a, get a Grand Slam title even when he's even younger than team is now. But it's a massive blow. It is devastating. And yeah, just mentally... It's, it's going to really be tough as there as the rest of the year. And um, yeah, I feel like the next time he does go deep, deep into a, into a slam, there will be these crippling doubts in, in his mind. And um, I suppose we're really going to see what he's made of now. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, you only had to look at Zverev after the match had finished uh, to see how devastated he was. And, you know, it, it feels weird to say that because often when you see a player completely devastated at the end of a Grand Slam final, it can often be because they've been there on multiple occasions uh, and, and not been able to win. So it's sort of a name like Andy Murray springs to mind. We've seen Andy Murray uh, lose on on multiple good chances of, of winning a Grand Slam, whereas Barrow hasn't really had any. Uh, he hasn't really had his Grand Slam record was quite poor before 2020. Um, before the Aussie Open this year, he'd never made a semi. Uh, he played a quarterfinal in uh, the French, uh, and that was the furthest he got. I think, you know, yeah, he, he never really had a chance of winning a stand before, but I think the devastation on his face at the end really showed that though he hadn't been in that position before, he knew that he really should have won that. Um, and like you said, it could be a major blow for him. Hopefully he recovers from it. Um, you know, he's still very young. You would think he's going to get more chances at slams. I, I don't for a second think that uh, Alexander Zverev is, is not going to get another chance at a Grand Slam. But, um, yeah, it could, it could be a massive blow. As for team, I think it's something I've always thought. You know, I do think he, he lacks a little bit on the mental side of the game and, and confidence in himself. And I think that showed last night at the beginning. Uh, and I think, again, with him, it could go one of two ways because maybe it will give him the, the confidence to carry on going and, and, and really challenge at the French in a couple of weeks and, and win multiple stands in the future. 
But then again, with, with team and someone with a mentality like team, it's just as likely, I think, that he will always have in the back of his mind, yes, I've won a slam, but I didn't do it against uh, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, well, not uh, Federer. Um, because, you know, I'm not taking credit away from Zverev, but if you look at teams' finals at Grand Sands before that, two finals against Rafael Nadal at the French, one final against Novak Djokovic at the Aussie, they're as hard as Grand Slam finals get and team hasn't been able to win them, whereas he was the strong favourite going into one, so I f- in, into this one. So I think it could still really be in his mind that although he has won a slam, he hasn't yet surprised to win a slam. He hasn't yet uh, come out onto court and played against a Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, who who have been expected to to win the match and and he's upset them. So um, yeah, it, look, it's it's interesting to see where they both go from here. Um, I think they both still have a lot of success, but I do think uh, it, it could have negative or positive repercussions for for both of them. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I I think team must have quite a, like. A- significant amount of self-doubt to make his way to that mindset I mean he's still going down in the history books as a US Open champion I think that's what people around him will probably try and encourage him to say you know maybe the the, the most important Grand Slam you win is the first one um, and yeah in, in the circumstances Djokovic going out the way he did uh, no Nadal and Federer does put an asterisk by it in our minds but I'm not sure how many others it does you know I still think you know his world number three he's just got 2,000 more ranking points by his name to defend Um, and I do think it will give him a boost I think it will be a motivational factor and uh, yeah I'd put him right right in the mix for the French Open Um, so I think that will conclude our chat on the US Open final. I mean, definitely not a game we're going to forget in a hurry. But yeah, a gut-wrencher for Sasha Zverev. But team finally has grinded himself over the line into the elite group of Grand Slam winners. And uh, yeah, we look forward to see... Well, Zverev's good, good on clay as well. We look forward to see how they fare at the French Open. Um, just looking at the women's side, and Naomi Osaka was the champion, and uh, she she won the US Open for the second time in her career um, after having to grind her way through two three-set matches um, in, in the semi-final, uh, winning over Jennifer Brady, the American, and then beating Victoria Azarenka in the final after losing the first set 6-1. And Azarenka, of course, who would look so good against Serena Williams after winning the first set 6-1, would have been very fancy to take the title. But Osaka clawed her way back. And um, I think she's gone up to world number four or three in the rankings after that win from nine or ten. Oh, I should really know this. Um, but yeah, what what did you what have you made of, of her success in this tournament? Um, yeah, fantastic performance from Naomi Osaka, which I think we're really pleased to see. She um, won the US Open 2018 uh, and was really looking like the, the dominant force in the women's game. You know, I think she was looking like the one to really top Serena, not 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 top Serena, but um, take over 
the guard of the women's game from Serena. Um, and then she did, I mean, she had some injury problems. She did um, maybe not live up to the success a lot of people were expecting her to have over the next sort of 18 or so months. Um, but yeah, no, it's brilliant to see her winning again. Um, not that I like to be boastful, but I think uh, on our last podcast, I predicted Azarenka to beat uh, Serena in three, and I predicted Osaka to beat Brady in three. Uh, I think I might be wrong on that. Uh, don't go and listen to the last episode because I probably am wrong on that. Um, but I think, and, and coming into the final though, if I was to predict a winner, I, I, I probably would have gone for Azarenka. So I, I probably would have got the final wrong. Um, Azarenka had looked phenomenal winning the Western and Southern Open the week before. Um, and even though she was unseeded at this tournament, I think just being on that sort of massive win streak that she was on which would have been up into double figures I don't know the number off the top of my head but I'm trying to work out it probably would have been 13 win streak 7 at the Western and Southern no probably 6 probably 12 6 at each um, you know that's a phenomenal win streak in, in two brilliant tournaments so a massive well done to Azarenka for getting to the final um, someone who has been out of the top of the game for quite a while uh, and I think we're really pleased to see her back at the age of 31. But um, and, and and hopefully she can carry on competing at the top. But um, yeah, can't you know can't take anything away from Osaka who who played fantastically and won her second U.S. Open, albeit with a little less drama this time around the the first one against Serena Williams. Um, but it was still a, a tough three set match. And um, yeah, just really really happy for. Yeah, something that just slipped my mind. She's only 22, Naomi Osaka. Uh, so, yeah, she's won um, one Grand Slam in each of the last three years, just 22, a former world number one, and has pushed her ranking back up to number three in the world now. So, yeah, definitely one to watch in the women's game. Um, yeah, let's just move on then um, ahead to the Rome Masters. So finally, we're back on the clay in 2020, and that's all starting with the Rome Masters, um, you know, 1,000 event, obviously. And uh, yeah, kind of weird, but I feel almost more excited for this one as I have been watching the US Open in the last week, just because, I don't know, as, as a viewer, I do really enjoy watching the games on the clay. Me and Michael have both predicted our draws for this one already, and um, I know I've got a few, a few shocks in store in mine. Um, yeah, I just wondered if you had any shocks that you want to get out in the open early on. So uh, I'm just looking at the scores and there's been two results coming already. Uh, you could argue this is a shock uh, for both of us and we, we both went for it. Casper uh, Ruud has beaten Karen Hatchinoff in three sets and we have both backed Casper uh, Ruud to get to the quarterfinal. So We'll cancel each other out on that one, however he does. But um, that's a brilliant win for Rude. And you look at his draw, and I, I can't actually see anyone in in his sort of section of the draw that I I would be too worried about him losing to. Perhaps David Goffin, if he does meet him in the third round, possibly uh, Basilashvili or Senego in the next round. But I 
Rude will be a uh, favourite to, to get through two quarters. Um, in terms of other shocks, uh, well, there's been one other result which you could say is also a shock. Uh, neither of us had this one. Filip Kajinovic has beaten Felix Auger-Aliassim in straight sets. And uh, we both had Auger-Aliassim to get to the second round. Uh, so there's a dead rubber in, in, in it there for both of us. Uh, just going down my draw to see if I've got any other particular shocks. I must say, I think I did this one quite late at night last night when uh, I was watching the US Open and I think I was too tired to try and work out where the shocks were going to happen. And I feel like I've sort of gone a little bit safe. Um, got Duzan Lajevic to beat Milos Reinic in the second round. But again, is that much of a shock? I'm not sure. Reinic obviously was uh, phenomenal at the Western and Southern Open, but um, I think Lajevic is probably the, the stronger player on clay. Uh, I've got Grigor Dimitrov to go out in the first round to Gianluca Major or Major uh, of Italy. Again, just because more of a clay court form. Um, but no, then again, until we sort of get to the later rounds, um, but then I haven't really got any. No, I've, I've barely got any upsets, to be honest. I'll let you sort of open the floor up in, in what you've gone for. Yeah, sure. I'm kind of glad that you've joined me in the Casparud uh, club. Um, yeah, so I've got him to beat Hatchinov, Sonego and David Goffin to get to the quarterfinal. Um, my other main shock would be I've also got Ugo Umbert to reach the quarterfinal. Um, he's got a very tough first round match against Kevin Anderson. I've got him to get through that and then beat Fabio Fonini in the second round who um, went out first round in Kitzbühel last week. And then I've got Umbert to beat Guido Payer, another uh, clay court specialist um, along the way to probably lose to Stefanos Tsitsipas in the quarterfinal. Just a word on Kitzbühel. Obviously, I just mentioned Fonini going out in the first round and uh, Miamir Kecmanovic, the precocious Serbian, ended up winning that one with a couple of uh, noticeable late runs from Husler of Switzerland, a 24-year-old player. Um, so maybe we could see more from him or it might just be another flash-in-the-pan performance at a 250. And also Hampfman of, of Germany made the final. Um, he beat Laszlo Jere in, in, the, um, in the semi who had put out Diego Schwarzman. So... A good week for him, and um, yeah, so a good week for Serbia down in in Kitzbühel in Austria. But uh, yeah, back to Rome, and another couple of shocks that I just wrote down was uh, well, not sure this is too much of a shock, but I went for Guido Payer to beat Denis Shapovalov in round one after uh, Shapovalov had an excellent week at the U.S. Open, of course, reaching the quarterfinal, and then I've gone for informed German Jan Leonard Struff to beat top tenner Matteo Berrettini in round two. Well, he may not, might not be a top tenner anymore after failing to defend his semi-final points at the US Open. Um, but yeah, that really concludes my shocks. Um, just to carry on, I'm going to uh, run through the four quarterfinals from uh, top to bottom of the draw that I've predicted. And uh, at, at first, I've got Novak Djokovic versus Gail Monfils. Um, I feel like Monfils might be a little bit of a stretch having not played a lot of tennis lately but I just really might be a bit more fresh than the rest of the field and obviously an extremely good player on the on the tour when when he's at full fitness then to meet Kasparud in the quarterfinal I've gone for Christian Garin 
had an outstanding uh, season on the clay course before uh, COVID-19 in fourth break. And uh, yeah, I think he might just pick up where he, where he left off. He does have some tricky games um, on it on his way to, well, I've got him to get to the semi-final. But um, yeah, I think uh, Christian Garin is one to look look out for. Obviously, Umber versus Sitsipas, as I've stated. And then I've got Diego Schwartzman to meet Rafael Nadal in the bottom quarterfinal. What about you? Uh, yeah, we've gone for fairly similar draws. Uh, there's two areas in our draws which I think will really determine who, who does the better here. I know, actually, looking down the draw, we've both gone for a different winner in the final, which obviously could play a, a big part of it with more points being on the line. But um, I've actually got Berrettini to get through to the semi-final, uh, with it being his home event. Um, I don't. I, I was looking at his... Um, past performances at the Rome Masters and he hasn't sort of lit the event alight before. I think the third round's the furthest he's got. But um I I just feel that uh, Berrettini has progressed uh, quite a bit over the last few years and has looked a really good player and I, I I know obviously he won't be in front of home crowd so maybe home advantage doesn't play an awful lot. But um yeah I've gone for Berrettini but I, I do think Either one of Jan Enstruff or Christian Guerin or possibly even Kasper Ruud, who are in his uh, quarter, could could really upset him. Uh, the other difference we've got, uh, you've got Umber to make the quarterfinal. I've gone for Fabio Finini. Again, I just felt maybe it was a slightly safer option with him being the Italian. But as you say, he had quite a poor loss in the first round last week. I can't remember who it was to, but um, he, yeah, he, he didn't look good in that. Um, but yeah, I've got Fognini to meet Sitsipas in the semi. And then, yeah, I've also gone for uh, the other two quarters, the same, Schwarzman, Nadal and Djokovic, Monfils. OK, cool. Yeah, no, it was Husla, the, the um, sort of quite unknown Swiss player that put out Fognini in straight sets. Um, so, uh, yeah, you just um, hinted towards who we've got in our final predictions. And uh, I've predicted... An angry Novak Djokovic did not let anyone stand in his way towards the Rome title, not even the clay master himself, Rafael Nadal. So I've gone for, yeah, Djokovic to beat Nadal in the final. Um, yeah, a bit of a, it's sort of hard to predict really, given um, how well it's the first major tournament back you'd have to say for Nadal. Um, so yeah, I just think Djokovic might edge it on this occasion. But you have different views, don't you? Um, I don't know. I, I think you could definitely be right. I I do think, however, uh, when I when you predict a clay court event, I think it's hard not to predict Nadal. Um, I know obviously we haven't seen him play in a long time, so I think it's just as likely that he could go out to Quenya Buster in the second round. Um, I don't know why. I'm just seeing on my draw that they've both got buys into the second round. I don't know why that is. I'm assuming Quenya Buster's opponent has maybe pulled out. Um, but yeah, it's hard to know how Nadal's going to play. But I think equally, it's also very hard to know how Djokovic is going to recover from the US Open. Um, it must have taken a massive mental toll on him. Uh, the, the events that we saw, obviously, and just to remind him, I'm sure everyone remembers just a week ago, uh, hit a ball away in frustration, struck a, a line judge in the throat and he was disqualified in, I, I believe it was a fourth round match. Uh, 
possibly no, I don't think it's quarter final. I think it's fourth round um, against Pablo Cunibusta. So um, yeah, I think I think it's very hard to know how how Djokovic Nadal will cope at this tournament, and I think it's just as like a, a Djokovic Nadal final is just as likely as a Sitsipas, I don't know, Berrettini Casper Ruiz final. I think it could be extremely hard to predict this one, but I just feel that because it's so hard to predict, I've, I've wanted wanted to just play it safe and, and go with sort of the usual proceedings that we would probably see at a Rome Open in, in which would be Nadal winning it, uh, Djokovic probably coming up the, the second best in the draw. Uh, yes, there's some uh, notable absentees from the draw in Rome. Obviously, Dominic Thiem um, and Sasha Zverev not playing and Daniil Medvedev, three players that all made the last four at the US Open are not going to make the draw in Rome. Um, maybe tight scheduling, maybe they want a week off. It's their prerogative and, um, yeah, no, not, not really a surprise to see the three of them not playing. But moving on and to finish this episode of the Tennis Fanless podcast will be back later on in the week, um, but I'm going to give Michael a player to guess a bit of trivia. Uh, just mention it on the predictions. That's tennisdrawchallenge.com if you'd like to get involved or um, yeah, just message us on Twitter or anything like that. Uh, yeah, it's a good bit of fun. Um, but to kick off, guess the player. The first clue, Michael, is he's 33 years old. 33 years old. Okay. Uh, getting on a bit. Uh, Garmon Fees. Incorrect, but uh, yeah, you're in the right area. Um, I was surprised to learn. I knew he has been quite a prolific player over the years, but he's won nine singles titles. Um, Andres Seppi. Incorrect. Um, I'd be amazed if he had nine singles titles on the, uh, on the main tour. I don't uh, know. I know he's won Eastbourne a couple of times, but maybe not nine. Uh, his career high ranking is number nine. Okay. Nine career titles, 33. I don't think David Goffin is that old, but then that career high would probably make sense. I know Goffin has played at the... 02 finals, but I think that was as a replacement player, so it would make sense if he made world number nine. Um, could be a Pablo Cronio Busta, he's been as high as nine because he made the finals as a replacement. I don't know if Cronio Busta nine titles, possibly. Uh, I'm torn between the two. I'm going to go for um, David Goffin. Incorrect, but yeah, you're definitely in the right area. Um, right, so the fourth clue, um, despite all those titles, his best performance at a Grand Slam is reaching the quarterfinal, and he's only done it once, and it was at the 2011 French Open. However, he's been a Grand Slam winner in doubles not sure how much this gives away. Um, and it was winning the Australian Open in 2015. Mm. 
my doubles knowledge is quite poor. Um, I think must be someone like a like a Janko Tipsarevich. It's probably no, I think he's been higher than nine. He's also played at the O2, but again, it could have been as a replacement. Uh, I know he plays, I'm sure he played doubles. Um, I don't know though. Um, not a good Grand Slam record in singles. I'm trying to think of players that have been ninth and, and not really have a challenge at a slam. I can't ever really remember Fabio Fognini doing well at a slam, so I'll go Fabio Fognini. Correct. Yeah, someone we've mentioned quite I'll a lot that. on this uh, on this episode so far. And yeah, Fognini, my final clue was just going to be that he was Italian. Um, yeah, I think a lot of clay titles probably in there. Um, yeah, just a great player on the tour, but hasn't really realised his potential at slam. Obviously, he's won a, a Masters 1000 as well. Um, but yeah, Fabio Fornini this week's guest the player. I'm just uh, going to have a little look at Andres Seppi. I've already looked it up. How many, ti- Only how many titles? Say again? This is three. You, have you looked it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I'll, I'll admit to failure on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got to enjoy Seppi while we can now. He's 36, one of those veterans of the tour. Um, but yeah, that concludes this episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, if you want to go and follow us on Twitter for more coverage, that's at Tennis Fanalyst. Thanks for listening.